Good morning, friends. Oh, I am so excited right now for us to be diving in, beginning this journey through Philippians. This is one of my favorite things that we do because all of us, every ministry, all of our kids, every campus, every message, every small group, every devotional, all of us together are going to be studying the book of Philippians. And I have two requests of you as we, as we dive into the journey of Philippians. Number one, get a book. If you don't have a book yet, we've got plenty of books available. You can, you can grab one today. Get a book and every day read with us. Uh, be praying, God, would you, would you speak to me? Would you, would you work in me? That's my first request. And my second request is for everybody, get in a group. Because something happens when we, when we learn from Scripture together in community. When we read Scripture together in circles, something, something happens. Maybe you're here today and, and you're just investigating faith. Maybe somebody drug you here and you're just still checking it out. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, there are, there's no better way to learn more about what it means to follow God than to study Scripture in community. I challenge you, like dive in all the way and ask the tough questions. Ask the hard questions, but investigate Maybe you're here today and your faith is a little bit stagnant. Maybe you've been a believer for a while, but, but things have just grown a little bit cold. I can tell you from firsthand experience, there's nothing like studying scripture in community to reignite your passion, to reignite your faith. Maybe you're here and you're wondering, how can I pass my faith on to my kids? Uh, read this together. As a family, we've got kids' versions of the book. Read it together as a family. Talk about it at the dinner table. For everybody, my request for you is would you don't, like, go deep. Don't do this halfway. Go deep. Read it every day with us. Get in a group. Let's do it together. Are you willing to dive into the journey through Philippians? Yeah? Yeah? Please, come on. Let's dive in. I'm excited. All right, so there was this Jewish man named Paul. And Paul was, was like the right education. He was on the track to success. He was a Roman citizen. And Jesus shows up and totally changes Paul's life, gets a hold of Paul's life and calls him. Jesus says, I, I want you to follow me and I'm gonna use you to plant churches. So Paul goes on these missionary journeys all across the Mediterranean. He sails from port to port, just planting church after church after church. And if you're ever curious about Paul's life, you can read more about it in the book of Acts in your Bible. But as, as he is on one of these missionary journeys, God leads him through an incredible series of events to modern-day Greece, to this leading city there called Philippi. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony, which is a big deal. The fact that it's a Roman colony means it's like the center of culture for the area. It's the center of trade for the area. And most of the people who lived in, the, in this leading city, this Roman colony of Philippi, were actually Roman citizens, just like Paul was a Roman citizen. You got to know that being a Roman citizen is a big deal. It's something that they were very, very proud of. The fact that they were Roman citizens meant that they had the protection of the Roman army around them. There was a security that they had in being a Roman citizen. It meant that they were protected from being abused by the local authorities. The local authorities <clears throat> couldn't take advantage of them because they were Roman citizens. They had access to a real judicial system because they're Roman citizens. They were represented in the Roman Senate. It's a big deal to be a Roman citizen. There are a lot of benefits to it. So Paul, the Roman citizen, goes to the Roman colony Philippi in modern-day Greece, and by the river in Philippi, he meets a woman named Lydia. And they start a relationship, 
And Lydia comes to faith in Jesus. And, and Paul and Lydia together in Lydia's home launch a church. And the church in Philippi is born. It's the Philippian church. Now, there's something really cool about effective churches. Effective churches change the world around them. Effective churches is it's the only organization that exists for everybody else. The, the church starts to change Philippi around them. And sometimes when the community changes, it challenges the power structures that are in place. And that's what happened here. And it got Paul in trouble. So Paul lands himself in jail, but God works. And it's incredible. Even the jailer who was jailing Paul, even the jailer comes to faith in Jesus. And the church in Philippi grows and it grows and it grows. But remember, Paul is passionate about planting churches. So as the church in Philippi grows and grows and grows, eventually Paul decides it's time for me to move on because there are other churches, other effective churches that I need to plant. So Paul moves on plants other effective churches that have a way of changing the world around them, which challenges the power structures that are in place. And Paul finds himself in jail again, but this one escalates. And it escalates and escalates until Paul is in jail in Rome, not just a local jail. He's in the Roman jail. He's in jail in Rome. And this, this is a big deal. He's in Rome for years waiting for trial in Rome. So he can't plant churches So what he does instead is he starts to write letters back to the churches that he planted in all of his missionary journeys, including that church in Philippi. What you hold here is the letter that Paul himself wrote to his friends in Lydia's house. It's the letter that Paul wrote to that church, and he has a very, very specific purpose for this letter. He says, I'm writing this letter because, because this is my prayer. I want you to go deep in your faith. Paul's not content for for this church to just have a shallow faith. Paul's not content for this church to just have a religion, a set of rules. Paul says, I want you to go deep in your faith. Don't be shallow. So together, as every day we read the book of Philippians over the next month or so, I want you to remember that each one of these words was written so that you could go deep so that you could go deeper, so that you wouldn't stay on the surface of faith, that you would go deep in faith. Now, there's a theme that we see throughout this letter. As Paul's writing to his friends in Philippi, you can see very clearly that Paul has a different uh, perspective of the world. Paul looks at the world differently, that the way that he sees things is is different, and he wants the Philippians to see things like he sees things. He wants them to change their perspective. Maybe said another way, Paul's like, if seeing is believing, I want you to see the world differently so what you believe can be changed. Paul challenges them to change their perspective, to change their paradigm. This talk is contrasting Paul's paradigm with the Philippians paradigm. Paradigm. I think we can define the word paradigm paradigm this way. Our paradigm is our defining perspective of how the world works. It's our worldview. It's it's the, the, the system that we think like governs the way that the world should work, that everything should fit together. Uh, Paul, I think, would ask all of us, what's your paradigm? 
I've met some people whose paradigm of the world is that the world is a scary place. It's full of threats. And so what you have to do is you have to make sure that you set up all kinds of things to protect yourselves from the external threats of the world. That's their paradigm. That's their worldview. It drives their actions and their decisions. I've known other people whose paradigm of the world is that, is that the family is the center of it. And so you do everything you can to keep your family strong. You work really hard so that you can be financially secure to keep your family strong. You want to do everything possible to keep your family living together close to the same spot. That's their paradigm, their worldview, their perspective of how the world works, that the family is the center of everything. Some say that that life is short. And so you just want to be successful, earn money, be happy. And that's their defining perspective. It's how they see the world. Oftentimes, our paradigm is revealed when we are challenged. Oftentimes, our paradigm, our defining perspective of how we see the world is revealed when we're under periods of pressure. I think you could even say it this way. My periods of pressure reveal my paradigm of the world. When I'm under pressure, you can see what I really think about the world. As Paul is writing this letter... Paul is in a season of immense pressure. Remember that every one of these words, Paul is writing when he's been beaten, he's been put in prison, he's got no money to his name. There's a good chance that he might die. His life is at risk. Paul is under an immense season of pressure. And that pressure reveals Paul's paradigm, his perspective of how the world works. And we see it from the very first verse in the book of Philippians. The very first verse, often in these letters, these early letters, it was very common that that they would start off by saying, who is the letter from and what is their title? What is their credential? Who is it from? What's their title? What is their credential? So Paul opens up the whole letter of Philippians with this. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants is kind. It's a kind translation of this Greek word. The Greek word here is the word doulos. Doulos. And the literal definition of doulos is this. It's a person who is legally owned by someone else whose entire life and purpose was determined by their master. Servant is a kind definition, is a kind translation of this world. You could say that that word is a slave. Paul's a Roman citizen, right? Paul could start this whole letter off by saying, Paul, a Roman citizen who was unjustly beaten, unjustly accused, unjustly in prison, and I demand justice. For the Philippians, everything around them says that being a Roman citizen is your most important allegiance. That's your most important credential. That should come first before anything else. But that's not what Paul does. Paul starts all of this off by saying, I am a servant. I am a slave. The Philippians were probably outraged that a Roman citizen could be treated like Paul is being treated. But Paul says, no. My Roman citizenship doesn't come first. You need to see, friends, that that I am legally owned by Jesus. That everything in my life, all of my purposes are determined by Jesus. He gets to determine everything. Long before I am a citizen of Rome, Paul says, you need to see that I am a slave to Christ. 
Remember, all throughout this book, Paul is challenging all of us to see the world like he sees the world. Because Paul knows that our worldview will determine our allegiance. And in this verse, Paul is challenging us. He's saying, look, your paradigm must demand that your first allegiance is to Jesus. Your first allegiance is to Jesus. And that your allegiance to Jesus has to put everything else in perspective. Put plainly, Paul would say, you gotta be a slave to Christ before you're a citizen of everything else. You better be a slave to Christ before you're a citizen of a country. You're a slave to Christ before you are a member of a political party. You are a slave to Christ before you are a member of your family. You are a slave to Christ before you are a member of a local church. You are a slave to Christ before you are a worker at your workplace. You are a slave to Christ before you are a student of that school. You're a slave to Christ even before you are a part of the culture that you're from. Nothing else can hold your first allegiance than Christ. Paul says, I am a person who was legally owned by someone else. My entire life and my purpose was, is determined by Jesus. At the end of Philippians chapter one, Paul has this verse where he says, listen, whatever happens, I need you to keep this first in your mind. In any situation, whatever happens, you need to conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, you've gotta know that you are not your own. Whatever happens, Jesus has to come first. So let's, let's see how this would play out in our normal life. <clears throat> if you find yourself at work, and for you to close this deal means that you have to act a certain way or say certain things or hold certain attitudes. Paul says you need to be a slave to Christ first. You need to make sure that whatever happens, you are conducting yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, Jesus has to be your first allegiance. If you're at school and for you to get that grade or for you to make that team means you have to do this, say this, or think this. Paul says, first, you have to be a servant of Christ. That has to be the overarching thing. If you're a part of a political party, and I'm not saying that one political party is good or bad. I'm saying that Paul would say that anything you do, say, or believe has to first submit to Jesus before anything else. Your primary allegiance must be to Jesus. It must be to Jesus first. Uh, for me, <laughs> uh, there are plenty of other things that I could put my first allegiance to. It could be a family. It could be a workplace. It could be a, you know, something like that. But where I get the most in trouble with this is, is when I want to be a citizen of, of, of me. I want to have my first allegiance to me. So when I'm offended, what I do, what I say, what I act, I, I want to say, look, it's unjust for me to be treated this way. I, I want to stand up for my rights rather than saying, no, I'm going to act in a way that is in line with the gospel of Christ because I am not my own. That's where I get in trouble. I think the question Paul is asking us is where is your first allegiance? The way Paul sees the world he says, I am a slave to Christ before I'm a citizen to anything else. What's your first allegiance? Paul's perspective. <clears throat> Paul's paradigm of the world makes him look at the world differently. He sees things differently. If you study Paul's life, you'll see that Paul seems like perfectly created to plant effective churches that change the world. 
He's got the perfect church planting resume. He's got the right education. He's a part of the right religious background. He's, he's got this Jewish heritage, and yet he's a Roman citizen, so he's got a voice with the Greeks. He's got the right, the right education. He's smart. He can speak well. He's got the passion. It seems like Paul was perfectly created to plant churches. It's his purpose in life. It's, it's why he's there. And yet here's Paul, and where is he right now? Well, where is he? Oh, come on. Where is Paul right now? He's in jail. He's in prison. He can't do what he's created to do. He can't, he can't plant these churches. He's stuck there, and he's in jail. For the Philippians, it's like, it's like here we are, and it's the big game, and our star player is stuck on the sideline. It's the finals, and Michael Jordan is sick, right? It's Sunday, and Khalil Mack's on the sideline. Aaron Rodgers is, I can't do it. Can't do it. (laughs) Oh, that gets the cloud. Good, good, good. For the Philippians, though, they sit here and they think, what could be worse for the cause of Christ than to have Paul stuck in prison? What could be worse for the cause of Christ than that? Paul, it's, it's like you being in prison. Your present circumstances have stolen your purpose. But remember, Paul sees things differently. Paul's paradigm is different. In verse 12, look how Paul addresses this. Paul says, now look, I want you to know, my friends, my brothers and my sisters, that what has happened to me, the fact that I am in a Roman prison, that I'm stuck here for years awaiting trial, that this circumstance, the fact that I'm trapped, I'm in chains, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, has actually served to, what's the word? Advance the gospel. What is happening here isn't hindering the, circ- the, the, the uh, purpose that God called me to do. It's not holding back the gospel. What is happening here is actually propelling the gospel. It's actually moving things forward. In fact, in case you didn't get it the first time, two verses later, this is what Paul says. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Oh, this blows my mind. Paul doesn't say, in spite of my chains, God is working. Does he? He doesn't say, even though I'm stuck in prison, God is still working. Because of my chains. This blows my mind. I hope you can see this. Paul is saying, because I am here, because I'm trapped, because I'm in prison, Because I'm stuck here in jail, because of this, the gospel is advancing. Not in spite of this, the gospel is advancing. Because of this, there are others who are now being built up. There are others who are growing in their courage. Because of this, God is bringing more and more people to who he is. Paul's pressure reveals Paul's paradigm, and this is Paul's paradigm, that the mission is actually advancing right now. Paul had a had a mission of his life before he met Jesus. Paul was well on his way to being very, very successful. He had a mission for his life and it was working. And then when he encountered Jesus, every mission, every purpose in Paul's life bowed to the mission of Jesus. When he met Jesus, it it wasn't about Paul's purpose anymore. It was all about Jesus' purpose. And this is what's incredible. When When it's God's mission, when it's God's purpose, then the circumstances that we're in don't sideline the purpose. When it's God's purpose, the circumstances that we are in actually conserve the purpose. Do you see that? 
When we serve God's purpose, he uses our circumstance to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Paul challenges all of us, everybody here. I want you to see the world like he sees it. Paul challenges all of us to check our paradigm. He says, look, if your mission, if your purpose is God's mission, if it's God's purpose, then you need to know that your present circumstances don't sideline the purpose. Your present circumstances, your chains where you feel trapped can even serve the purpose for which God created you. Paul, stuck in prison. He can't plant the churches that he would love to church. All he can do is write letters. And I don't think Paul would ever know that maybe the most important contribution to the world were the letters that he wrote. The letters that he wrote because of his chains. God knew how he wanted to use Paul. God knew. And in order to use him, he needed those chains to be there. Because of Paul's chains, there is an enormous impact from Paul's life. I don't know where you are, but my hunch is that there might be places in your life where you feel trapped. Maybe you feel financially trapped. Maybe you feel trapped in that job. You can't get out of it. Maybe you feel trapped in that relationship. Maybe there's some circumstance that it's just, this isn't where I want to be. Could it be that God might use that circumstance where you feel trapped to serve the purpose for which he created you? Could it be that God might use that circumstance where you feel trapped to advance the gospel, not hinder the gospel, to move it forward? I remember uh, many years ago when I worked in the corporate world, and it was clear to me I, I, this place did not line up with my passion. It wasn't a place where I wanted to be, and, and I felt trapped. I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know what the right path would be out of this and into that. And it was hard. It was hard. And I had no idea that one of my desk mates that just had become a friend, that he was watching my life. And that as we were building this friendship, that he was curious about what was different about me. And that one day at lunch, he would ask me about faith. And on our drive back to the office building, he would pray the prayer and give his life to Jesus. I felt like I was trapped in my circumstance. But God was using my circumstance to serve the gospel, to serve the purpose, to advance the gospel. I had no idea. When our circumstances are hard, when we feel trapped, Paul's worldview demands that we see that our circumstances don't sideline the purpose. Our circumstance can actually serve the purpose. Paul's paradigm, Paul's perspective makes him look at the world differently. It makes him say, I'm a slave to Christ long before I'm a citizen of anything else. It makes him say that my circumstances serve the purposes of God. They don't sideline the purposes of God. And there's one more thing I want you to see. As Paul's in prison, it's not just his ministry that is, that is being threatened. It's not just his purpose that is being challenged. Paul's physical safety, Paul's personal future is uncertain. There's a good chance for Paul that he could die in prison either through the circumstances, either through the conditions of the prison, or, or through assassination, or through being sentenced to execution. There's a good chance that Paul is going to die here. And the Philippian people, they know it. 
And they're wondering, Paul, we don't know what's going to happen to you. Your personal future is scary. But remember, Paul sees things differently. And instead of being afraid, Paul says, I want you to see the way I see things. He says this. Paul says, even though I'm in jail, even though my personal future, I don't know where it's going to be, even though I'm stuck in these chains just writing letters, even though I'm here, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And this isn't Paul saying my deliverance, meaning like this will turn out for me to be able to get out of jail. This isn't Paul saying, I know for sure I'll be able to be released from this prison. He's talking about his personal deliverance. He's talking about his eternal deliverance here. Paul is saying, look, ultimately, I'm not afraid of my personal future. I know that to you, it looks like my personal future is scary, but I'm not afraid of that. In fact, in a very succinct way, just two verses later, Paul shows us his, per- his perspective, his paradigm. This is what he says. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. Paul says, to me, every day that I live is to serve Jesus. Every day that I live is in service of my king. Because remember, I am a servant to Christ before I am a citizen of everything else. Every day is to serve Christ. And the point of this life for me is to grow closer to God. And whenever I die, it will be complete. Whenever I die, I will be close to God. My future isn't scary. For Paul, he says, my future is certain. Paul challenges all of us to see the world, world like he sees the world. He challenges all of us, what is your paradigm? What's your defining perspective? And when your personal future feels challenged, when your personal future feels scary, Paul's paradigm is that this is not the end. That what you see isn't the end of what there is. That there is an eternity that your future is certain, that your present surroundings might be scary, but your future is secure. See, there's something different about Paul's worldview. The pressure that Paul is under, the situation where he is, it reveals Paul's paradigm. And Paul's paradigm is different than the paradigm of the Philippians. There's something different about it. For the Philippians, as we look at this, their paradigm is that as I look at my primary allegiance, my citizenship to Rome is the most important thing. That's my first allegiance. But Paul's paradigm demands that his citizenship to Rome is second. His first allegiance has got to be a servant of Christ. The way that the Philippians see things when they're in a hard situation, when they feel trapped, it makes it look like, 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 like the circumstances are sidelining the purpose for which God created them. But Paul says, no, Jesus' mission is my mission. And I know that my circumstances don't sideline the purpose. They actually serve the purpose. The way that the Philippians see things when their personal future is challenged, it means that there's a scary future. But for Paul, he says, I know that the ending is sure. I know the way this is going to go. It's not a scary future. I have a certain future. Paul sees the world differently. Now, we all face hard uh, situations. We all face tough circumstances in our life. Uh, uh, Over uh, the last couple of months, recently, we had a situation in my family, uh, in our family back home. And it was one of those situations where we wondered, should we travel home for the weekend? Do we need to be here for it? Or can we stay here in Chicagoland? Uh, Where should we go? 
And it was a tough decision because we had plans that we had been looking forward to. We really didn't want to cancel the plans, but, but we've got this saying in our house called the 10-year view, the 10-year view. And if you don't know the 10-year view, I encourage you, take this and use this. The 10-year view is this. There are certain decisions that we make, making the, that we make with the present view. The present view is what's the right decision for right here, right now? What's going to be the right decision with all the circumstances that I see? But then there are some decisions that you make where you say, I want to make this decision based upon the 10-year view. What's going to feel like the right decision 10 years from now? What decision will I be glad that I made in a decade? And in this particular situation, we said the 10-year view means you cancel the plans and you go back home. That, that's what we did. That was the 10-year view because we believed 10 years from now, we're going to be glad that we made that decision. Now, Paul, Paul's perspective, the paradigm that Paul had, it's not the present view, but it's not the 10-year view either. Paul's paradigm, Paul's perspective is actually the eternity view. It's the eternity view. You want to know what Paul's overarching paradigm is. The overarching paradigm that allows him to say, I am a servant to Christ, that my circumstances serve the purpose, that my future is certain. Paul's overarching paradigm is this, is that eternity is real. That this world is not the end. That what you see is not all that there is. His defining view of reality is that there's more to life than this. His defining view of reality is that Jesus purchased my citizenship into heaven. And that because Jesus, because Jesus was willing to be a servant to God on the cross, Paul says, then I can be a servant to Jesus. Because Jesus was willing to look at his circumstances on the cross and say, these circumstances aren't sidelining my purpose. They're serving the purposes of God. If Jesus can do this, then Paul says, then I can, I can say that my circumstances serve his purpose. If Jesus knew on the cross that his death was not the end, that his future was certain, then Paul's saying that I can know that my future is certain. Paul's overarching paradigm is that eternity is real. And that the entire point of this life that we have on earth is to prepare our hearts for eternity and to prepare the hearts of as many people as possible for eternity. Eternity is real. So I think Paul's challenge for all of us is what's your paradigm? What's your perspective? What's your defining view of reality? Is it the eternity view? The view that Paul had? Friends, this world wants to tell you that this place is the home of your heart. Over and over and over again, this world is going to tell you, make decisions with the present view in mind because the present view is the most important view. Or maybe make decisions with the 10-year view in mind because where you're going to be in 10 years is way more important. This world wants to be the home of your heart, but Paul's invitation is that this world is not your home. That your heart has an eternal home with God in heaven. In fact, Paul's invitation to all of us is to remember that, that you're just a tourist here. You don't belong here. You belong there. You belong in eternity. And the purpose of this world, the purpose of this life is to prepare your heart for eternity, to prepare the hearts of all the ones that you love for eternity. When you have the eternity view, it can change everything in your life. 
So I just, I just want to ask simply, where's the home of your heart? What's your defining perspective of reality? What's your worldview? What's your paradigm? If we've got a paradigm of the eternity view, then before anything else, we realize that we are servants to Christ. If we have a paradigm of the eternity view, we realize that even when we feel trapped, when we serve God's purpose, he can use our circumstances to serve his purpose. When we have a paradigm of the eternity view, even when we feel like our personal future is scary, we can know that we have a certain future because this world is not the end, because this place is not our home, because you and I are just tourists here preparing for what's real. What's your paradigm? What's your defining perspective of the world? Do you know that eternity is real? Is your heart ready for eternity? Are the hearts of those that you love ready for eternity? Is the world around you ready for eternity? Maybe today, your next step is is just to ask God to open the eyes of your heart to the eternity view. Not just the present view, not just the 10-year view, but the eternity view. Maybe your next step is to say, God, I want to see you more than anything else. God, I want to trade my perspective for your perspective. I don't want to see things through these fleshly eyes. I want to see things through your eyes that they can see so much more than I could ever imagine. God, I want to have the eternity view. Please open the eyes of my heart. And I believe this. When the world watching around us sees a church full of people who have the eternity view, who are acting like they are servants to Jesus before anything else, who are acting like they know that even where they feel trapped, that their circumstances serve the purposes of advancing the gospel, of people who know that even when their personal future is scary, that the future is actually certain because of who he is, that when the world around us sees a church full of people who believe that with the eternity view, they take notice and they see the gospel of Jesus. My friends, may we have the eternity view. Amen? Amen. Would you please stand? So for me, uh, recently in the last few months, uh, I've had trouble maintaining the eternity view just various things in, in life that, that seemed like the world screams to me to take the present view. And maybe if it's a good day, I might be able to get to like the two-week view or the one-year view. Every now and then, I might be able to have a glimpse of the 10-year view. But I'm, I'm desperate for the eternity view. I want the eternity view in my life. And so I've just been praying this really simple prayer. Of, of an old song that we used to sing quite a bit, just saying, God, would you open the eyes of my heart? God, would you open the eyes of my heart to what's true? Would you open the eyes of my heart to what's real? Would you give me a divine perspective, an eternity perspective, not a present perspective or a 10-year perspective? Open the eyes of my heart. And I wonder if that's just a prayer that you need to pray to. But that's a song we just need to sing together. God, would you open the eyes of my heart? Would you sing that with me? 
Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Sing it out. Open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you. I want to see you. Would you sing it out? Open the eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you. Is it true? I want to see you. See you high lifted up. To see you high lifted up. So I think for many of us, there is a circumstance in your heart right now where you need the eternity view. And we're gonna sing this one more time. But before we do, I wanna invite you to call that circumstance to your mind. <coughs> Maybe it's a place where, where you realize your allegiance is off. Call it to your mind. A place where you feel trapped, wondering if you're sidelined. Call it to mind. A place where you're personal future feels scary, call it to mind. And together, let's just sing one more time. Let's pray, God, would you open my eyes to the eternity view? Open the eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Sing it out. God, open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. Yeah. Because I want to see to see you open my eyes the eternity of you God open the eyes of my heart As you go, may you not cling to the present view. May you not cling to the tenure view. But may you see the eternity view. This week, may you choose to be a servant to Christ before anything else. Whatever happens, would you live your life in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? This week, when you feel trapped, may you remember that when you serve God's purposes, he can use even the places where you feel trapped to serve his purposes. And this week, when you feel like your personal future is uncertain, may you remember that with the eternity view, your future is secure. Let us be a people who cling to the eternity view. Amen. Amen. Blessings, everybody. Have a great week.